Well, good morning, friends. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for taking some time out of your weekend to join us, especially if you're new, especially if you're visiting for the very first time, maybe the first time in a long time. We're so grateful that you are here today. Thanks to the choir, the band for leading us in worship this morning. Thanks to Pastor Nathan uh, for leading us through communion. It's funny. He said his first car was a Volkswagen Fox. Mine was a Chrysler Stud. It's amazing how our first car has just perfectly described us, man. Actually, it was more of a Chrysler dud, but that's for another, another sermon. Hey, I want to point out just a few things to you. I had a friend just this past week ask about all the amazing ways that, that she could get involved in this church. And these three cards right here are really the heart and soul of our church. It's a purple info sheet, a blue info sheet, and an orange info sheet. You can find these at the next steps table out in the foyer. This is a list of all the service opportunities, benevolent opportunities, Bible classes, service groups, everything in between. So if you are interested in getting more involved at West Bowles, going a little bit deeper, meeting more people, uh, these cards are going to be the best way for you to do that. Tons of ways to serve, to grow in your faith, be a part of what's happening here at West Bowles. Uh, we are a few weeks into a new sermon series entitled Better Together. For those of you that haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, or maybe uh, you have a memory like mine and you can't remember what happened yesterday, let alone last week or two weeks ago, let me catch you up just a little bit. Let me fill you in on what we've been talking about. Some things in this world, if you think about it, they were just made from one another. I mean, bacon and eggs, Bert and Ernie. Millennials and coffee shops, right? They just go hand in hand. This past week, I was thinking cooler temps and colorful leaves. Isn't this a beautiful time right now uh, to be in Colorado? Certain things, although they are great by themselves, man, they just are so much better when they are together. And what's true with different foods or different Hollywood characters, even different cultural trends, is actually true when it comes to different generations in the church. You see, God designed the church to be something where every age and every life stage is not only present, but, but really represented and championed and celebrated. According to him, the one who first called the church into being, we are so much better when we are together. You have certain Psalms that talk about this, certain biblical partnerships that point this out. Uh, you have the analogies the Bible uses to describe the church, words like the body, the family of believers. You have Paul's letters to Timothy and the, and the early church saying, hey, honor those who are older and strengthen and make an example of those who are younger. See, it's obvious that we as a church body are so much better when we are together, when we're with folks from every age and every life stage. And so in this series, we're taking a week to celebrate and highlight and, and a champion a different generation. Uh, we're trying to show that in, unlike the world where generations are split apart and there's all kinds of, of backbiting and fighting or jokes being made about one another, we want to come together and love each other and learn from one another because every generation can teach us so much about the Lord. Every generation can teach us so much about what it means to walk faithfully with God. And so last week, we spent some time getting to know our oldest generation, the one commonly referred to as the silence or the silent generation. If you weren't here, you need to go back online, listen to that message, not so much because of what I said, but because of what they said. A great group of our silent generation just sharing stories of their past, uh, stories from their heart. It was an incredible morning. I hope that you were really blessed by that. And hopefully you took me up on the challenge this past week to take a silent out to lunch or to go and spend some time with them in their home to just get to know our oldest generation and to learn from them. Because again, we are so much better when we're together. 
And this morning, as Nathan said, I'm, I'm excited and a tad bit terrified at the same time to talk about the next generation, uh, the children of our silence, those known as the baby boomers. Uh, this generation is made up of the, well, don't clap yet, you haven't heard the message. Uh, this generation is made up of those uh, who were born anywhere from 1945 to 1965 or so. Uh, these are the folks who are currently in their 50s, 60s, maybe early 70s. And according to certain polls, there are 75 million baby boomers in America today. Hence the title, Boomer. Seems rather appropriate, does it not? But let's find out how many are uh, in our midst today. Who would consider themselves a baby boomer in the church? All right, now you can clap. Now you can, now you can thank them for being a part of this place. The boomers are a complex generation that lived during an era where within 15 or 20 years, everything changed drastically, from music to politics to morals to toys. Uh, most historians actually break the boomers up into two categories. You have the baby boomers on the front end and then a group called Generation Jones at the tail end, those who were born a bit later in that era. But for our purposes this morning, we're going to lump all of them together and make broad stereotypes about them. That's what you do when you talk about generations outside your own, right? Okay, here we go. Uh, the title baby boomer was created due to the dramatic increase in the birth rates following World War II. Uh, the soldiers came home from war, and let's say they had a little bit more time to spend creating babies. Uh, and they did, resulting in a population explosion. The generation is marked by things like determination, a willingness to go above and beyond, uh, responsibility, and self-sufficiency. They have a passion for equality, a belief in hope and change. Uh, the boomers as a whole are highly educated, very goal-oriented, and very competitive. You kind of have to be when there's 75 million of them, right? As a generation, they have a collective identity, and so things like loyalty and uh, community are important to them. And you can hear that loyalty and that identity piece as they talk about the nation, but also to talk about their family or the corporation they might have worked for. Uh, boomers are often motivated by financial benefits, materialism, and many believe this generation single-handedly created the American dream, not only the phrase, but also the idea as we know it today. Let me share some fun and interesting facts with you about our baby boomers. In the early 60s, when many of them were growing up, the color TV was introduced, and by the end of that decade, 95% of homes would own at least one of those. In 1964, a little British band called The Beatles appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show. Over 70 million people watched that one episode. The novel To Kill a Mockingbird was written and released. The term hippie came into the world, Star Trek debuted and people sitting in their living room started to go where no person on their couch had ever gone before. Uh, the very first Super Bowl aired on TV. 40 million viewers watched the Green Bay Packers beat the Kansas City Chiefs. The English rock band The Rolling Stones came out with their very first album. The first uh, video game console was invented, as was the ever-popular Etch-A-Sketch. A boxer named Cassius Clay won the gold medal for the U.S. in 1960. And after changing his name to Muhammad Ali, became one of the most polarizing athletes in American history. And drug overdoses claimed the lives of many folks, including Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and many, many others. It was a very interesting time to be a young person in America. So many exciting advancements and changes taking place, but also a lot of scary things happening at the very same time. But again, I don't want you to take my word for it. Uh, listen to some of our baby boomers. 
Kind of a leave it to beaver type family in that yes mom was home you know she uh, she kept the place running moms in those days didn't work I mean everybody had a mom at home the people in our neighborhood that worked were widows pretty much my dad worked for his father-in-law came home every day for lunch ate white bread and bologna sandwiches <laughs> every day <laughs> Yum. in high school I can remember going to my mom and telling her some of my dreams about what I wanted to be when I grew up. And my mom told me, you can be a nurse or a teacher. And that's the roles that women could have. And I became a teacher. Dad was a disciplinarian. And, uh, and he, was, he was a big guy. He was about uh, um, 6'3 and 240. And, and uh, so he was kind of an ominous presence. I don't ever recall ever sitting on my dad's lap or getting hugs or, uh, you know, uh, any kind of intimate or physical affection. Uh, that all came from mom. My dad would take his belt off, wrap it around. Never once did I get hit. I was never spanked. He never once spanked me. He would threaten me. And it was enough. That's just what it was like back then. I mean, you respected your teacher. You know, the parents, if you got in trouble at school, um, you got more trouble at home. If we got in trouble, we had to stay after school and do these extraordinarily long math problems until it was dark. And <clears throat> I guess I got pretty good at math. <laughs> I would go to school with slacks and an Oxford shirt and leather shoes, maybe they were leather, they could have been patent leather, but I always had to be looking proper. You had to wear, you had to wear a collared shirt and, and some, um, some pants, it couldn't be shorts even, and certainly not blue jeans. We were required to wear dresses. If it was freezing cold and really deep snow, we could wear our pants underneath our dresses to school. We could, in junior high, towards probably the end of junior high, we could wear jeans, but my mom wouldn't let me. So I took jeans every day in a paper bag <laughs> and changed in the alley between garages, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we had riots at our school. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of tension. Again, this is Southern Ohio, uh, very close to the South. So there's a lot of, there were a lot of emotions. When I was in high school, I was, I'd been in high school two weeks, and we actually had a race riot. This was the year that they started mandatory busing in Denver. We were one of the first cities in the country to do it. I was in an inner city school, and we were integrated. And so we were bused. Um, the school district, the boundaries were real diverse. Um, our school was known for racial riots. I recall walking home uh, uh, from school and uh, all the neighbors had antennas on the roof and I pretended like we would have an antenna someday. We didn't have TV. I remember it was small, about a, a 12 inch picture, kind of fuzzy and grainy and we used to watch uh, the Ed Sullivan show was a big show we watched. I remember when it went from black and white to color and I would circle the shows that I wanted to watch because I wasn't allowed to just sit in front of the TV. I had to identify an only a certain number of shows. 
um, everybody went to church in, in town. I mean, it was, you know, like I said, a small town, so that was what you did on Sundays. You know, you, you, and you knew if someone was an Episcopalian or a Lutheran, Catholic, you, you kind of knew everybody's religion. We'd, we'd get up and have a light breakfast. Uh, we'd go to church and then uh, the proverbial Sunday drive after church when you're in your sport coach, you've got your neck tied up in a skinny tie and you're in the back seat. We always had Sunday brunch and the dining room of our house was right by the front of the house so I'd see all my friends out playing and we were in having Sunday brunch with Crystal and Silver and yeah, it was a family day. Other kids could go swimming or could go meet up and uh, go together to the park. We couldn't. That was something outside the church. It was a day of rest. You know, nothing was open on Sundays, so, you know, we had to, you couldn't go to any stores or you, restaurants weren't open when we were younger. So mom always had to make um, the Sunday dinner and it was a big deal. And, and, you know, Sundays were staying at home with your family. There was some great excitement because they um, were in the space race. So we, we were watching, you know, rockets being sent up. But at the same time, um, in 1962, we were in the crosshairs of the Russians. Everybody remembers the duck and cover where you tried to get under your desk because the, the nuclear bomb might go off and that uh, desk uh, was not big enough for me. So I was kind of a... <laughs> I, was, I was in a bad position there, so. We had no idea what nuclear war meant, you know, other than it was bad. And, uh, and so we would, uh, we'd hear an air, air raid siren and we'd have, to, uh, we'd have to go out into the hallway and then put our, our head between our knees. We'd all have to go down to the gym and then down below the gym, there was a big room, and then there was another room below that and the whole school of little kids were, I was in second grade, um, and they had us just face the wall. <laughs> we had to sit cross-legged um, on the floor facing the wall and just tuck our heads down. We had neighbors that had bomb shelters, mm -hmm. you know, and they were yeah. fun to play in, mm -hmm. but, um, and they'd be, stacked with, you know, dry milk and canned food and all this stuff, but there was, the houses were built with bomb shelters sometimes. I remember um, when John F. Kennedy ran for president, I can't remember what grade I was in, I was in grade school, and um, I just remember thinking, oh, he's so cute, I would vote for him. And then I remember, of course, as everybody in that era remembers when he was killed. Uh, I was at Wilmore Davis Elementary School uh, in Wheat Ridge and uh, I just remember the distraught um, feelings that were going on within the faculty and staff. Uh, standing, in a, standing in the line out in the, part, in the school playground getting ready to go inside and the teacher made the announcement to us. They let us out of school early, and I went home, and my mother was crying. But in junior high, then we lost Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King. I mean, it was just it was just raining fearful things that you don't ever kind of evidently get past. Well, it might it might have been 
the way we were raised too. I mean, it was. Country was, was huge. And my dad fought in World War II, so yeah, country was huge. We didn't expect handouts. We uh, worked for what we got, and I think that idea uh, of uh, just striving to be uh, something worthwhile and uh, significant and doing something good was, you know, instilled in you. Respect and compassion were two of the biggest things that I could carry through the rest of my life. Uh, to this day, I call um, a man sir and I call a woman ma'am. Things like your word is your bond, you know, and that, that um, um, and it, it, we didn't say this at the time, but um, it, it, the overriding feeling is who are you behind closed doors? You know, who really are you? Respect was a big word that would be used at all times. I always was yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes. Never called any adult by their first name. Always Mr. and Mrs. I don't, regardless of their age, if they were older than me, they were Mr. and Mrs. I don't know how much we were taught to think for, at least I wasn't taught so much to think for myself. I just, my parents told me how it was and okay, that's what you did. We honored the flag. We loved our president. We wanted to be good citizens. Uh, we wanted to uh, be proud of our country and we were proud of our country. So I think that's where I came from. Thanks to those who were uh, willing to share. Thanks again to John for uh, putting all that together for us. So Pastor T. Fizzy wearing blue jeans, that is just an abomination to the Lord, according to our boomers. But I'm, I'm grateful that things have changed over time. Uh, this generation, as you can tell, is known for several important things. You have uh, the Vietnam War, you have the arms race, you have Woodstock, you have the civil rights movement, some key movements and times and, and cultural dynamics happening in the world. Um, but uh, I want to share a couple things with you this morning that as I've been reading and studying about our boomers have really stood out to me, in particular as I've been talking with a good friend named Brenda, uh, Brenda Snalem, who's a part of our church, who's a self-proclaimed boomer. Uh, a couple of things have stood out to me that I really want to uh, share with you because I think that they have a unique way of, of ministering to us even now. Some lessons, some characteristics of our boomers that I think uh, can teach us some profound things about faith and life and a little bit of everything in between. So let's talk about two things in particular this morning. Uh, we don't have a ton of time, so I'm going to do a quick flyover of these things. But again, I want to encourage you, get to know a boomer. Spend some time with them, because chances are they can speak to these two things much better than I ever could. The first is this, prosperity. Uh, the boomers shed the depression thinking that was a part of the country for so many years uh, before they were born. They didn't live in that scarcity narrative that we talked about several months ago in the book of Mark. Uh, the boomers are truly the ones who created the middle class with their houses in the burbs, fancy toys, boats, extra cars. There's literally a t-shirt in the 80s that came out, he who dies with the most toys wins. And although prosperity and material wealth, uh, it can and has ruined many people's lives. I mean, Jesus talked about the fact that you cannot serve two masters, and the two examples he gave were God and money. So we know that, that money can be used for evil or can hurt us in different ways, but I think that prosperity of any kind, it's truly from the Lord. I mean, if you think about it, from the Old Testament promises of a land that is bountiful and plentiful, 
to the New Testament blessing of, of, uh, or prayer of blessing and prosperity that every disciple was supposed to go into every home with and, and say over that family and over that home. We see that in Matthew 10, 13. God is the one who gives us our wealth. God is the one who gives us our well-being. So if we enjoy those things, they are from him. And boomers, I think, have modeled this, maybe better than any other generation. They have modeled a healthy understanding of prosperity and wealth and a healthy use for prosperity and wealth. Listen to Philippians 4, 11 through 13 with me. This is an amplified version, so it's a little wordy. It's a verse that many of you probably are aware of, but listen to some of the additional context or commentary here in this one. Not that I speak from any personal need, Paul says, for I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times, and I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me. Now, we normally hear that verse uh, quoted by athletes, do we not? Before the big game, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You write it on your shoes, your cleats, or your pads, your helmet, or whatever it might be. That's not exactly the context in which Paul first said these words. I think it does apply in those settings, but let's look at the original context here. Paul says that through Christ, he can handle being poor and struggling to make ends meet. If he doesn't have a whole lot, he's okay because he's in Christ. And Christ can help him get through the lack thereof. But did you notice what else he said? On the flip side of that, he says it's through Christ that he can, and he literally uses the word enjoy, abundance and live in prosperity. I know what it's like to have nothing, but I also know what it's like to enjoy when I have a lot. Think about that. Jesus is the one who enables and empowers us to do both, to make it through the really thin, lean, difficult times, but to also really enjoy the good times. And I don't think that we do a very good job of talking about the latter. But I think our boomers have shown us over the years that succeeding in the workplace thriving to get ahead on the corporate ladder, if you will, and then being paid accordingly, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a sin or a crime for a Christian to have a six-figure job. We typically don't do a good job in the church of talking about wealth or prosperity. You have some churches that talk about just name it and claim it, right? It's yours if you just believe. You have other churches that teach uh, the less you sin, the more you'll make. So there's, there's no truth in those teachings. But there are some teachings that are true when it comes to money. Some teachings that are true when it comes to wealth and prosperity. And I think our boomers have actually been the ones to teach us what is right and good. See, the boomers have worked incredibly hard for their money. They have these incredible entrepreneurial spirits. And they are driven to, to do more and, and to attain more and to accomplish more than their parents were ever able to. And Paul says, because of Christ and in Christ, that's okay. That's, that's actually a really good thing. You can enjoy living in health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, when it comes to material wealth, uh, to our abundance. We don't want to boast about it, right? The Israelites did that back in the day. King Nebuchadnezzar did that back in the Old Testament. And bad things happen when you're in a place where you boast about what you made. 
right? God will either rebuke you in that moment and say, listen, I'm the one who gave you your work ethic. I'm the one who gave you the ability to make money or to work hard. So don't take credit for that. It's me, 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 God says, or he'll just rip it all from you like King Nebuchadnezzar. He stands on the roof of his great palace and he says, look at all that my hands have made. And in that moment, God drives him insane and he loses it all. So we don't, we don't want that to happen to it. Right? We don't want to be rebuked and we don't want to be hurt in that way and lose all that we have. So what's the other option? Well, I think God says, you are blessed to be a blessing. That's why I bless you. Instead of boasting about your wealth, bless others with your wealth. Instead of looking down on people who have a bunch of wealth, how about you look for ways for those folks to use their wealth? See, I think if we are wise with our wealth, if we're faithful stewards of our wealth, we can do incredible good, unimaginable good with our wealth. And I believe that our boomers have, have taught this. This is why God has given many of our boomers so much wealth, because he knows that they have the opportunity to use their blessings to bless a bunch of other people. You see, you don't have all the money that you have because you've sold out to the man or because you're sinless and you're God's favorite. No, it's simply a blessing that you have received from God so you can do great things for God. You with me? Your blessings, your abundance, your wealth are simply blessings you have received from the Lord so that you can turn around and do great things for the Lord. And the boomers, and they have modeled this, they have started single-handedly more nonprofit organizations, parachurch groups, they have funded incredible building campaigns, humanitarian efforts, more than all other generations practically combined. Let me give you a very specific example of how this has played out here in our own church. Nearly 70% of our annual operating revenue comes from which generation? The boomers. There are five or six generations represented here at West Bowles. Nearly two-thirds of our operating revenue comes from one of those generations. We have all been blessed because of their blessings. You with me? The seat that you're sitting in right now, the, the heater that's on right now, the lights that are shining down on my bald head, right? All of that is a blessing at times because others have chosen to bless us with what they have received from the Lord. You following me? So I don't want us as other generations, especially younger generations, to look at the boomers and to say, man, you made so much money and you were so materialistic, you were so, no, 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 no. God blessed them with it. They don't receive all of that unless the Lord is behind that, unless the Lord chooses to open up the, the, the storehouses of heaven, the Bible says. And now the boomers get to model for us what it looks like to use their blessings to bless others. And many of them, especially those in this church, man, you've modeled that so well for us. The second thing that stands out to me about our boomers is the word possibility. Uh, my friend Brenda said it better than I ever could, so I'm just going to quote her here. She said this, National prosperity and the strength of America on the global scene gave birth to unlimited possibility for the boomers. After all, if we could put a man on the moon, we can do anything, Right? America boomed with all kinds of advances and conveniences, fast food, fast cars, fast planes, rocket ships, microwaves, all of which held great promise for the future. And we raised our kids accordingly. Anyone can be an astronaut was an actual slogan growing up. I don't know about you, but I love this about our boomers. Man. They have shown us over the years that we don't need to settle for the status quo. We can truly dream about and work towards and get really excited about new possibilities. And that's not just because of the, the nation that we live in or the era in which we live in. That's because of the God that we serve. 
according to Jesus in Matthew 19, 26, with God, a couple of things are possible. With God, maybe a little bit more than you thought was possible. With God, maybe one or two steps further down the road, it's possible. Is that what he says? He says, with God, all things are possible. With man, you, you might think it's impossible, that there's no chance that could ever happen or take place or manifest itself, but with God, all things are possible. And if I know anything about Jesus at all, this verse wasn't just talking about churchy things or religious things or like spiritual things. He's talking about all things. That's why he said it. The man always said what he meant and meant what he said. So with God, all things are possible. And I think that we tend to forget that God is the one who originally placed within us things like the imagination, or our ingenuity, inventiveness. Those are things from the Lord that he has put into us, that he has placed into us. In fact, in my opinion, that's what it means to be made in the image of God, is that we have these abilities to think and create and and, and do new stuff. And we don't do God or the church or the unbelieving world, for that matter, any favors when we just settle for status quo. We don't do God or the church or the unbelieving world any favors when we just settle for the same old thing. If all things are possible in and through the Lord, then let's dream big and let's go big. Jesus excelled at pushing the envelope and showing people, like, you thought you swam in water? Well, I'm going to walk on it. You thought the leper would make you sick? I'm going to show you that I can make him well. See, he reversed all these understandings at the time, and he showed that things that we never thought were possible were actually possible. And I think our boomers have modeled that for us, and we need to follow in their footsteps. We need to keep dreaming up new ways to do old things. We need to keep inventing new ways to do new things. God is so excited when we do that. Anyone can be an astronaut. And that sounds to me like Jesus. Because Jesus at times would say, come follow me, disciples, and we will change the world. Or it sounds like, I'm calling you to be the salt and light of the earth. You can drastically change and alter any environment, any situation you find yourself in. It sounds like you can walk on water. It sounds like you can move a mountain, doesn't it? Jesus was like a motivational speaker at some level as well, because he knew that with God, all things are possible, and that should motivate us. Are you with me, church? Don't just settle. Don't, don't stay stuck. Dream, imagine, invent, try, push, be creative. God has made you that way. I think Jesus at times is saying, come on, man, you can do this. In fact, you can do it even better than you imagine. You can go even bigger than you thought possible. Because with my Father, all things are possible. Now, I know, man, I'm an entrepreneur by, by nature. Like if I wasn't a pastor, I would own several car dealerships, several restaurants, I'd probably be a golfer. It'd be crazy. I had all these little side businesses going on. So maybe this resonates with me more than it does with you, but I hope that this excites you at some level. I just love this about our boomers. If you can think it up, if you can dream it up, God could lift it up. God, God could do it. He can make it happen. And I think we should be working towards this. We have Christ's spirit in us. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. You with me? I wish we had more time to talk about our boomers. Man, there's so many great qualities and traits that they, that they bring to the table. But we only have time to talk about these two. I'm going to invite the band up to close us out this morning. Uh, like every generation, uh, the boomers' greatest strengths can also be the boomers' greatest weakness. 
but I hope that you are seeing just with the prosperity and possibility piece. Man, this generation has so much to teach us. And like last week, I'm going to end this week with challenging you to get to know a boomer. There's a lot of them to choose from, like 75 million. And so would you just go out of your way, get to know a boomer, take him to lunch, ask him how they lived in that prosperity and possibility world, ask him what the arms race was like, what Vietnam was like, what Woodstock was like, right? Ask him, these, there's so many great things they could tell you and share with you. You will be so blessed by your time with our boomers. They are highly educated, highly successful, highly driven. They have so much to teach us, so much to show us. And, and one quick thought here, a little tangent thought, boomers, I want you to know that your work ethic and your drive, along with your passion and your longing to make things better, to make things bigger, man, I absolutely love that. And God bless you for that. And, and, and I want this church to do a better job of utilizing that. I'm sorry if over the years, boomers, you felt as if you've kind of, you know, kind of faded out or fizzled out. The church needs you now more than ever. And I'm committed to seeing more of our programming, more of our ministries, bless our boomers. They come into the season of life where, where that drive and that idea of prosperity, that idea of possibility, it can be utilized in this place. Let's make this place bigger. Let's make the kingdom bigger, amen? And boomers, you are the ones that can really help lead the charge in doing that. So thank you, boomers, for who you are. Uh, we are better because the boomers are a part of this church. And God has made it clear we are all better when we are together. Let me pray that over you and we'll sing one final song. God, we thank you so much for the generation known as the baby boomers. They walked through and experienced so many things. I can't even imagine, Lord, what duck and cover was like. I can't even imagine what a, a beloved president or social figure like Martin Luther King, I can't even imagine what it was like to, to watch them be assassinated, God. I can't even imagine what it was like to have friends go away to a war that was, that was just so hard to fathom or comprehend, God. And yet you have created these boomers with this unique spirit, God, and these unique gifts and talents and abilities. As a whole, God, they are so driven. They are so talented. They're so educated, God. They, they, they push the envelope. They try new things. They've been blessed in ways no other generation ever has. And we thank you, God, that you have uniquely used our boomers to bless and serve the kingdom especially bless and serve this church, God. And so would you give us creativity and ingenuity now, God? How can we use our boomers in even more effective ways moving forward? How can we help them to succeed in this next chapter of their life just as much as they've succeeded in, in previous chapters, Father? Help them to know they are so valued, so important, and that you have something so special in store for them in these next few years. Thank you, God, that we, that we get to do this life with every generation and with folks who have walked down so many different roads. We are so much better because we're multi-generational. Help us to embrace that, to embody that, to a world that is so separated, that is so divided, that is so hostile towards our generations. Help us to model what it looks like to be a family and to love everyone from the youngest to the oldest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.